It's good to be together again another week that the Lord gives us grace and strength. Just remembering and reminded with Ron and Marlene's relatives, just think of all the times in the past year that we have prayed for healing, prayed for strength, prayed for wisdom, and the Lord hears and answers those prayers. What an encouragement to us it should be. What an opportunity to praise God for that. Well, we are coming to the end of this section in Ephesians 5, and then we're going to take a break for a couple weeks in Advent and a couple spiritual discipline type things in the beginning of the new year, and we'll be back to Ephesians in about four or five weeks. As I'm thinking about this and the instruction now that Paul is giving us, I'm thinking about the fact that our family, Tiff and the boys and I, love to go north. We love to be up on the North Shore and see what God has done through his creation and these cliff faces and rocks and the power of that lake. It's unbelievable. One of the things we love to do is hike the trails up there. And there's a dozen, a dozen miles and miles of trails that you can walk. One of our favorite ones to do is called the Temperance River Trail. And if you've been to the Temperance, you know it's one of the most beautiful rivers, but it is also very dangerous. There are places where you can go off the trail just a few steps and you're in the river and once you're in the river, that's it. And so we often found ourselves, especially when the boys were young, saying, be careful, watch where you're going, look out, hold my hand, whatever, to try to keep them on the right path, to try to keep them from getting off. And as I got older, we were able to explain, this is why, there's danger over there, we want to keep you from that and need to pay attention to what you're doing. (laughs) Any other parents ever have to tell your kids to pay attention? Probably not, we're the only ones. The Apostle Paul is kind of like our parent on the river trail here. He's telling us, pay attention, watch what you're doing. Last week, he called the church to wake up, to stop slumbering and nodding off when the world around is so dark and needs the light of Christ. And so this morning, he's going to give us this imperative, this command to watch how we walk, to be careful, to walk in obedience to the word of God. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. And follow along or just listen as I read and we'll begin for this morning. Ephesians chapter 5 starting in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, we desperately need now the instruction of your word to pay careful attention to the way we live, to consider what you have told us through your word. We thank you for this opportunity to come under your word, Lord, and I pray for grace in the preaching and grace in the hearing, that your word would take root in our hearts and have its full effect. Everything that you have designed, everything that you have planned for us today, by the power of your spirit, Lord, bring it to pass. I pray that we would leave here better equipped to be a light in a dark world, 
to pay careful attention to what you've told us, Lord, and to live lives of obedience to you that will glorify you and cause the world to turn from their sin and come to Christ. Please give us strength for this task, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, Paul is beginning a new yet related section of instruction as we get into chapter 5, the end of chapter 5 here, by appealing to his readers to give careful attention to the way that they walk. Okay, when Paul says, look carefully, what we should hear in that is this sense of vigilance, paying attention, being awake. Like I said, just last week, if you were here, he called the church to be awake, alert, aware of what's going on around us. Rather than being lulled to sleep, or distracted by the world and the works of the world, the Christian is to be aware, to look carefully how they walk as they follow in obedience to God. Paul picks up on this theme of wisdom as he calls us to walk carefully. And of course, Paul, being trained as a Pharisee, was very familiar with the wisdom writings of the Bible, with the book of Proverbs, and he employs this wisdom now and applies this to the way that you and I and these Ephesians are to live their lives. He says to pay careful attention to the way we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Back in chapter 1, Paul prayed for these believers that God would give them this kind of wisdom. In verse 17 of chapter 1, that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. That was Paul's prayer, and now he's getting into the practically, how do we put this into practice in our lives? Wisdom, specifically in the Greek culture, was highly valued. They went after wisdom like crazy because it was kind of this mark of prominence. If you were considered to be wise, you were respected, you could have a higher position within society, and you think of all the philosophers and scholars around the first century that would give their life to studying what wisdom was, but ironically, they did it apart from Christ. And there is no wisdom in the world. That's what Paul is calling our attention to, I think. When he talks about wisdom, he's not talking about worldly wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says that the Greeks seek wisdom. But he says, in contrast to that kind of seeking, Jesus Christ became for us. Wisdom from God. Remember that? That's the beginning part of 1 Corinthians. So when Paul calls us to walk as wise, not as unwise, he does not mean figure out what the world considers to be wise and follow that. Wisdom is not some broad, interpretable category that we make up. He's talking about the wisdom of God. He's talking about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Any pursuit of wisdom apart from God and his word is an empty pursuit. This is why it's so interesting to me that so many people pursue wisdom and it'd be interesting to find out what they mean even when they say that and yet it is done apart from the word of God, what God has revealed to us. And so when Paul says, walk as wise, he does not mean just figure out whatever you think. He means wisdom according to the standard of God's word. He's commending this understanding of wisdom that the Bible communicates. The practical, everyday, God-honoring kind of walking. The kind of living that brings glory to God, not to yourself. The thing about knowledge and wisdom is that it tends to kind of bolster the person. 
to make us feel like we have the answers, like I want to be the one people come to when they have a problem because I know what's going on. That isn't godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is humble. The wisdom from above, James says, is first pure. It comes from God. So don't confuse the wisdom that Paul is talking about with some kind of worldly wisdom. No. This should be a repeated theme for us so far. How many times in the book of Ephesians over the last year and a half have we seen an instruction, something we ought to do in our lives, and then see Paul point us back to the Word of God, back to the person of Christ, to see the example for how to do that? We should recognize this at this point, that the call for wisdom is not apart from, rather it is tethered to the Word of God. Wisdom comes from God and is revealed in His Word. Paul then says that we are to live wisely, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I think the urgency of this passage can be felt right here in this verse. When he says, look, you got to walk this way because the days are evil. You can hear almost his pleading. Recognize the times you live in. The Christian life is not a life where you bury your head in the sand, pretend like everything's fine, and just fold your hands and wait for the end times. It is a life of engagement, of being aware. Paul says, look, pay attention, Walk how, look how you're walking, know what's going on around you. Why? Because the days are evil, they're wicked, there are things going on around us that if we're not paying attention, we're going to get sucked into. That's not what God desires from us, brothers and sisters. We are to walk worthy of the calling, we are to walk as children of light and to pay attention because the days we live in are indeed evil. This aligns with the common two-age view in Judaism. Okay, they, they view this as the, the whole of life as being in two ages. First, it's the present evil age that we live in, and then there's the coming age of God's reign and God's rule. This fits in with Paul's background and his education. Paul is advocating that his readers, and that includes you and I, Use every hour of our time for the good of the kingdom of God. Wise walking, wise living means not only staying away from the bad things, but doing the right thing. So when we walk in the light as children of light, we recognize what's going on around us and we utilize the time because we know that it is so important to do this. I think when we understand that every part of our life belongs to God. This is the teaching of the Bible, that we belong to God as his children. And when you understand that every part of your life is God's, then you should use every part of your life for God. Does that make sense? The understanding of what God has done for us, if you are a child of God and God has saved you by his grace, you belong to him. And the call is for you to use your life wisely. We are God's. Paul said it this way in Romans 14. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So act like it, (laughs) is what Paul is saying. We belong to God. He redeemed us from the world, and now he calls us to redeem, to buy back the time and use it in a way that honors him and glorifies him. There's a great need for Christians to use their time wisely. I mean, I don't know if this is just me, but it is so easy 
to waste time. Anybody else deal with this? It is so easy to just let time go and by the, you know, before you know it, you're at the end of the week and you look back and you're like, what did I really do? That ever happened at the end of the day or work shift or whatever? That is just the natural progression of the worldly life. Just, yeah, just let stuff happen. No. Paul says, use the time. Be intentional with the time. I think it's notable that Paul is talking about this evil age and, and what's going on around us with the works of darkness, the unfruitful works. Remember this from, from last time? And he doesn't call Christians to just hunker down and wait for the end. He doesn't say, look, it's really bad around you. Why don't you stay inside your church? Why don't you guys just sit there and just wait it out? Mm-mm. There's no room for that in Pauline theology. Paul says, recognize what's going on, look at the darkness around you, and engage it. Walking in wisdom means that you and I do something. That's what walking is. And so when he calls us to walk as children of light, he is calling us to engage, not pull back and hide until Christ comes. There is work to do. There is light to be shown in the world. Don't hide your faith. Don't hide it. Let the world know that you follow Jesus. Be different for the sake of the gospel. So therefore, walking wisely means not only living with ethical purity and integrity like Paul is calling us, but aggressively doing what is good and right and true. You remember that from a few verses ago. That's what we're called to. For the salvation of the lost, for the strengthening of the saints, and ultimately for the glory of God. We are called to do, to act in the strength that God gives us. Make the best use of the time. Part of what it means trying to walk wisely is to try to understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul sees this really strong connection between right walking and understanding what God desires. You see that? Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. Okay, so what's the opposite of being a fool? Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. To understand the will of the Lord is to understand His will revealed to us in Scripture. You say, I want to know what the will of God is. Open your Bible. We don't understand God by just imagining things or trying to dream up some reality about who we think God is. God has revealed himself to us in his word. You cannot pursue the will of God with a closed Bible. I mean, you can try. I shouldn't say you can't. You can. You can try it. You're not going to find it. God has revealed himself to us in his word. If we don't come to see the scriptures as the central, irreplaceable element of knowing the will of God, we will never understand it. Never. We have to know the Bible to know the will of God. Don't don't come and say, oh, I just... I don't know what to do and I just, I want to know what God's will is for me in this situation and I just, when's the last time you read your Bible? I don't know, a couple weeks ago, but I just don't, what? The word of God is our life, it is our breadth, it is our strength, 
And it is the way that we come to know the will of God. So when Paul says, don't be foolish, but understand the will of God, what he is saying is know God through his word. There is an endless supply of wisdom and knowledge and encouragement and instruction in the word of God. Why would you leave it closed? The word is so central and so important. I don't just love the Bible because I'm a pastor and I think, oh, I'm a pastor. I better love the Bible. I'm a pastor because I love the Bible, because of what it has done in my life and because of what it can do in your life. And I want you to love and know the Word of God. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord by looking in the Word. It is not complicated. It's hard, but it is not complicated. Study the Word of God with everything you have and try to understand what the will of God is for us. We will never know the will of God by emptying our minds. There's some thinking going around, and has been for a long time, that says if you want to really just just sit and empty your mind and just let it kind of... We don't know God by emptying your mind and thinking of a river or some rocks or something. We know the will of God not by emptying your mind, but by filling it with the word of God and his truth. So in the context of verse 17, to be foolish would be to pursue the knowledge of God's will apart from God's word. You want to know what what does it mean? He says, don't be foolish, but what does that mean? I think in this context it means to go after understanding, to go after the will of God without the word of God. That is foolishness. And we are warned to stay away from this. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I think it's interesting that what Paul is doing here is actually calling us to know the will of Jesus Christ. He says, know the will of the Lord. He says, kurios, Lord. Every time the consistent theme of Ephesians, when Paul uses kurios, he means Jesus Christ. So what he is saying here is understand what the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, wants of your life What is the teaching that he has passed on through his apostles? What is it that you are called to? Know the will of Jesus. This is Paul's emphasis to us. Now Paul ends this section of instruction by telling us of the Holy Spirit and how we participate fully in his work. Read this section again with me. Let's start at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to come back and pick up in this verse 20 when we come to our week on prayer in the new year. But for now, I just want to point out that Paul is really good at using contrasts to help us understand something. I learn really well this way, maybe you do too, where in order to understand what something is, sometimes it's good to see what it isn't. To look and say, okay, here's, we kind of understand what this is, we know what this is. Well, this is totally unlike this. And sometimes it's really helpful to see a contrast, and that is what Paul is doing here. He's very good at this. He regularly helps us understand a certain concept or a reality by comparing it to something else. 
And that's what he's doing here in verse 18. Paul calls believers to yield their lives completely to the work of the Holy Spirit and his influence and resist the pull of other mind-altering or mind-numbing substances. He does this by pointing out the difference between a life controlled by the Spirit and a life controlled by excess. Now, while there wasn't distilled alcohol as there is now in the first century, there were naturally fermented drinks that were abused in the same way that it is now. And one of the big problems coming into the church, and we've already talked about a lot of this stuff, one of the big problems was that the use of fermented drinks, of getting drunk, was common in the pagan temples. So these people are converting to Jesus Christ. They're coming to faith in God, and they come into the church, and what they're used to is going to the temple and getting drunk in order to heighten or intensify their worship experience. That's the cultural context. And so they come into Christianity, and Paul is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Do not be controlled by another substance. Rather, be controlled, be consumed with the Holy Spirit. It was really interesting for me to read Martin Lloyd-Jones on this. He has an exhaustive commentary on Ephesians. It's very good. And the interesting thing is that Lloyd-Jones was not only a great expositor of the Scriptures, he was a medical doctor. He was a medical doctor. And he speaks to this in terms of what alcohol does to the mind and the body. Listen to what he says. I thought this was really helpful. And then he makes a contrast. And he uses a word called pharmacologically. <laughs> okay, anyone know what that is? Pharma is dr- we, pharmacy. We use that for drugs. Pharmacology is just the study of drugs and how they affect the body and their use and their meaning and all that kind of stuff. So don't get thrown by that. Okay, here's what he says. Alcohol, pharmacologically speaking, is not a stimulant. It's a depressant. It depresses first and foremost the highest centers in all the brain, the ones that control everything that give a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess. In other words, alcohol depresses everything that makes a man behave at his very best and brightest. Now this is just physiologically speaking. He hasn't even touched on the spiritual. He's just saying, here is what this does to a person's mind, to a person's body. He continues, what the Holy Spirit does, however, is the exact opposite. If I were able to put the Holy Spirit into a pharmacology textbook, I would put him under stimulants. For that is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind and intellect, the heart and the will. You see, the life that Paul is commending in the book of Ephesians is not a life of uncontrolled excess. It is a life of self-control, a life of moderation, a life of being controlled and dictated by what the Word of God says, not what other things, other stimulants, other effects We are being called to a standard of living. And while there are huge dangers with excess of anything, there's a particular danger with the excess of alcohol. And Paul draws attention to this in verse 18. The word Paul uses, translated debauchery in the ESV, means wastefulness. 
It means a senseless waste. In Paul's thinking, getting drunk is literally a senseless waste. It is a waste of your body. It is a waste of the mind that God gave us. It is a waste of God's good gifts. And it ignores the fact that as Christians, we are called to live what the Bible says, sober-mindedly. Clear-headedness. If you've been around any amount of time, you know that excessive drinking does not lead to clear-headedness. It fogs you up. It makes things drowsy, less clear. That's not the life that we're called to. The Bible repeatedly, more than a dozen times in the New Testament, talks about the life of the Christian being sober-minded. And this contrast is meant to help us see that rather than being under the influence of other things, we should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober-minded, clear-headed, 2 Timothy 4, 5, as for you, always be sober-minded. 1 Peter 1, 13, therefore prepare in your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The opposite of drunkenness is sober-mindedness, clear thinking, unaffected thinking by any outside stimulation. Again, Lloyd-Jones the Christian life is a controlled life, an ordered life. It is the opposite of the condition of the drunkard who has lost control and is being controlled by something else. Excess of wine is characterized above everything else by the loss of understanding, loss of judgment, loss of balance. That is what drink does. Now remember that this instruction is coming directly on the heels of everything else that we have heard in Ephesians. Don't just isolate this passage and start to extrapolate all kinds of odd applications. We've already heard, be imitators of God. Walk worthy of your calling. Walk as children of light. Don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. These are all exhortations that we've just heard previously in the passage. And all of this fits together, right? You see how this all makes sense? Drunkenness is something that is common and even accepted in the world. It's promoted by the advertising and the commerce of the world. And Paul says, stay away from it. Don't partake in that kind of stuff. It is not what we are to be influenced and controlled by as Christians. Rather than being controlled by alcohol and excess, we are to be controlled by and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Paul's drawing a contrast or a comparison here between these two fillings. Both of the verbs that he uses in this passage, do not get drunk or be filled, are present tense. These are actively happening in the moment. But that's about where the similarity stops, isn't it? See, Paul isn't saying that being filled with the Spirit is just like being drunk only better. That's not at all what he's saying here. He is not saying that we should come to expect some kind of buzz or some kind of high from the Holy Spirit. Go after some kind of experience. That isn't his instruction here at all. Rather, he is telling us to be consumed with and controlled by the Spirit of God who enables us to do the right thing. <laughs> when is the last time you heard of somebody getting drunk and that enabled them to do the right thing? 
the Holy Spirit of God and the power and ability that he gives every child of God enables us to do the right thing. Which is why Paul is commending this kind of living. The Spirit of God inhabits the life of all believers. And under the new covenant, children of God have replaced the physical temple as the place where the Spirit of God dwells. The Holy Spirit no longer only dwells in some physical structure that we have to journey to to get or see, but rather, as we've seen multiple places in the Bible, the Holy Spirit indwells every blood-bought child of God. And Paul has already used this filling language in the book of Ephesians, talking about the fact that we are the temple of God. This is chapter 2, verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Us. The Spirit lives in us and we are to be controlled by Him. And Paul wants this experience of God to be ever increasing in the life of the believer. The more you are filled with the Spirit of God, the less room there will be in your life for things that are unhelpful, dangerous, distracting, or harmful. Which is why Paul calls us not to be given to excess, not to be given to worldly standards, but to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now when we come to the end of this section, verses 19 and 20, we see these instructions that Paul is giving, these examples maybe, and I want you to see these as the means by which we experience and are filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't mean that this is some kind of formula to follow. As if if you just do these things, if you just address one another, if you sing psalms together, if you encourage one another this way, then the Spirit comes. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that corporate worship, and these are all, by the way, things that happen in corporate worship. When we engage in these things, the Spirit of God is present and active. We've already established that He's in each one of us, as children of God, and he is the guarantee, the seal, the promise, all of those things. So Paul is not saying here, you don't have the Holy Spirit, but if you do these things, you can get him. Let's be really careful. That is not at all what he is talking about right here. When Paul says that we should be filled with the Spirit, it's not as though we don't have him, and then if we just do the right things, we'll get him. All of these things, singing, giving thanks, addressing one another, are the means of grace that God has provided to his people for us to participate in the full measure of his spirit. Paul prayed earlier in chapter 3 that we would be filled with all the fullness of God, and this is just another way to say that. These are all the things that should happen in a corporate worship service. Emphasis on corporate <laughs> together. You cannot address one another or sing to one another if you're alone. That maybe sounds really basic, but hang with me. We need the gathering together of the church. We need the body. The way to walk wisely, as Paul is instructing us here, is not just to say nope to the bad things. We're going to distance ourselves from those. It is to say yes to the good things, to the gathering of the church together, to participate 
in the good. I think the reason that so many Christians over these last two years have felt so alone and isolated is because they have not prioritized the gathering together of the church. How many people have you talked about or talked to that say, oh, we're just, I just feel so disconnected, I just feel so isolated? We need each other so badly. We need the encouragement, the conversations, the challenge, the preaching, the worship, all of that. Because those are the things that God has given us as good gifts to strengthen our faith, to build up the body. It is so important that we prioritize this kind of worship. This is the way we encourage one another. We worship together. We're filled with the Spirit of God together. There is something unique and unreplaceable that happens on a Sunday morning. And it is not because of me. And it is not because of Josh. It is because when we gather together, all of us individually temples of the Holy Spirit, and we come together with one mind, one goal, to glorify Jesus Christ, God is honored in that. And the Holy Spirit works in us and produces this atmosphere of worship and praise, and He enables us to do this. This isn't some kind of formula. I'm not saying that if we do the right things, man, you're going to feel really good. No! What I am saying is that the worship of God pleases God. And when we come together to encourage one another, the Spirit is active and working. You cannot get that on your couch in the living room, watching television on a screen. you got to be here. And encourage somebody else with your singing, your encouragement, your actions. I really love the church, if you couldn't tell. And I think it is so important that we gather together. Not only for our own kind of good feeling, but because this is the means. This church All other gospel preaching churches are the means by which we are strengthened and encouraged and helped. When we come together to worship God and we sing wonderful songs and we hear wonderful texts read and we hear mediocre preaching, you know what happens? The Spirit of God works. You say, well, how does He work? Glad you asked. The Spirit works and moves and awakens faith and opens eyes and brings life to dead hearts and strengthens the weak and heals the sick and lifts up the downcast. All of these things happen not because we are doing the right things, but because God works through His Word and through His people. I mean, this is exciting to me. To know that we can participate in what God is doing. Now this is not some kind of extra special higher level spirituality. This filling of the spirit is just biblical Christianity. It is not some other experience that you need to go after. It is not some higher thing that when you get mature enough you can get none of that. It is simply walking in obedience to what God has called us to do. This passage reveals to us that one of the ways that we are filled and replenished with the Spirit of God is by gathering together in the corporate worship. It pleases Him 
And because of that, he stirs his spirit into action. And of course, we must recognize that all of our effort, all of our worship, all of our praise to God is only possible in the first place because of the Spirit of God. Right? We, we don't worship unless the Spirit prompts us to worship. Worship is not something that the flesh does naturally. It is something that is a response to the Word and the work of God. So the Holy Spirit is both the means of the filling and the content of the filling. He makes it possible. So, let me encourage you as we close to consider what obedience to this text looks like for you. We're going to leave from this place We're going to go home, we're going to start our week tomorrow, we're going to go into the workplace, we're going to go to school, we're going to go to play, we're going to go to whatever. How do you do this as you get into the week? How will you walk in wisdom this week? I tell you what, it isn't going to happen accidentally. Nobody accidentally stumbles into wisdom. It's a pursuit. And it's something that God calls us to. Will you recognize that we indeed live in evil times? The days are evil, and there is a call for every Christian to let the light that is in us, the light of Jesus Christ, spill out into the world. We aren't supposed to hide our faith. We're not supposed to hide until Christ comes back, but rather we engage, we go, we do in the strength that God supplies. Don't allow yourself to be influenced by anything other than the Holy Spirit of God, working through the Word of God for the glory of God. That's our call as believers. And as we prepare every week to come together, to worship God, to sing together, to hear encouragement from one another, ask the Lord to work through His Spirit. Do you pray that? You pray as you're coming to church that God would do what only He can do to awaken faith, to strengthen the weak, I hope you do, because that's a prayer that he'll hear and answer. So as we prepare, as you get ready to come and engage in corporate worship, pray that God would do this, that he would fill us with his spirit and enable us to live lives that are pleasing to him. Let's pray as we come to the table this morning. Father, I again thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. That because Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again and ascended to your right hand, we have your spirit dwelling within us. Help us to understand what that means. And help us to pursue knowing you and knowing your will through the word. Lord, each of us are faced with so many decisions so many questions, so many issues that need to be worked out and we desperately need to know what you would have us to do. So help us to approach every situation with an open Bible, trying to understand what you would have from us. Father, don't let us engage in excess and things that are distracting or even dangerous for our faith, but help us to be under the control and the guidance of your Holy Spirit who enables us to live a life of obedience to you. 
And as we do that, we will experience joy and peace and comfort through your spirit. So Father, please come and do this work. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.